Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for the best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Michael Frasilo, the Dean of the College of Professional Studies at Syracuse University, sits down with Illumination host Amrit Alawalia to discuss the impact continuing ed has on helping universities meet their mission in serving their communities and expanding local industry. He also reflects back on how the pandemic has impacted the role of professional continuing education units and whether that change is here to stay. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the Illumination podcast. We appreciate it. Good morning, Amrit. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you this. Now, we're going to be talking about the community engagement mission, the modern post-secondary institution, the impact continuing ed has on on helping universities meet their broader mission. But I want to take us back a little bit, because one of the last times that you and I spoke was right around the start of the pandemic, I'd say like June 2020. And you you had a quote that stuck in my head for the better part of, well, I guess we're two, two and a half years now that I think was very prescient. What you said was that this could be the Super Bowl for continuing education, right? That the pandemic could really start to prove out how continuing education can make an impact on the broader institution, the role that continuing ed can play in modernizing the institution. I think I've seen elements of that. As you think back on on that quote and kind of where we were at that time, do you feel like that was prescient? Uh, Yeah, prescient's (laughs) a great word. Um, yeah, as you're suggesting there, I think elements of, of that have played out over the last uh, 24 months, um, at least since the pandemic. You know, what we're seeing is uh, lots of our colleagues in this space uh, being leaned into by their institutions because of their expertise, the existing infrastructure that they had in place. And of course, you know, a lot of this is specific to our traditional work in distance and online education uh, but also in our ability to support and serve non-traditional students or students that don't behave and have characteristics like our full-time residential undergrads and grads. And that's where, uh, you know, for many years, our CE units, uh, you know, depending on the structure and nature of the university is, you know, sort of over on the, you know, oh, those, the, those are those guys down on the other corner of the campus. Um, yeah, we've absolutely seen a, 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 uh, sort of leaning into what continuing educations do, how we do it, and, and the expertise that we have uh, built into our staffing and, 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 and frameworks. Absolutely. And, and is that something that was short-lived? Or are you still seeing that relationship evolve today? Absolutely still seeing this. Uh, you know, just as recent as yesterday, having conversations with senior leadership here at the university where we're looking at lots of analysis that's that, that's happening now, both in the financial sector and then the higher education sector, where we're seeing a, a you know sort of a rapid increase of some of the consolidation we were watching over the last couple of years in the OPM market mm-hmm. and the academic services market. What that indicates to me, and I think to a lot of our peers, is that uh, universities are understanding now that. Um, you know, it's really important to have some version or some elements of those uh, of that uh, infrastructure and capability in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, this may not be our last pandemic. Um, and, and it may not be the last sort of external exigency that requires a university 
to to pivot quickly and and to staff up quickly and to be able to deliver uh, education and 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 services in ways that are you know not not place based or or on the ground full time. So so yeah, I, I I I'm I'm seeing that continuing. I think um, it, it's unfortunate it took a pandemic for. <laughs> You know, global pandemic for for many senior academic leaders and, and thought leaders to understand the value, the truly the value that CE units can can have. Um, but yeah, it's continuing now. Um, you know, lots lots of folks in the space too, our CE counterparts, they're seeing uh, significant um, investment reinvestment in their units to expand their services. Um, so, and that's a good sign too, particularly now as, as lots of lots of universities, schools and colleges are, are challenged uh, budgetarily. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, right? Because there's, there's seemingly, there seem to be like two models, I guess, that, you know, and if, as you become reductive, it becomes easy to look at it and say, there's two models, but there appear to be sort of two models that, that folks are really looking at here where it's, you know, the where there's a traditional continuing ed model of almost a, a campus on its own, where you know everything's sort of for CE over here. And then there's more of a shared services model that's emerging in terms of how can continuing ed operate as a service across the rest of the institution. It's built on partnerships, it's built on trust, and it's built on mutual understanding. It's more challenging in a lot of ways, but to your point, I guess, as universities are looking to maybe step away from the OPM model, um, continuing ed is, is fitting into that role. Is, is that, does that more or less mirror with what you're seeing as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I think they're, and, and really, you know, converging toward, I, I like the way you're describing that in sort of two, two general models. Um, again, what I, Oh, good. My perspective, <laughs> well, <laughs> well played the, uh, no, I, I think, you know, because there are multiple models, right? Like mm-hmm. even our colleagues, uh, you know, organizations like UPCA, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about operational structures. And there's half a dozen that could just right off the top of your head, but but certainly more depending on how, how a university is structured, governance, uh, funding, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 what I think, or what I see uh, really is a hybrid of those two models that you just described. I think those universities that have CE units that are already configured as separate campuses actually have a tactical advantage over those that don't uh, in that they're, they typically affords you lots of opportunity for alternate pricing, for standing quickly standing up non-credit or community engagement type programming where you're, because you are technically a separate campus, um, you're unencumbered by a lot of the, uh, of the uh, sort of the machinery and gates you have to clear uh, when, when functioning within a full-time campus. And then on the shared services side, uh, there's, you know, duplicate, lots of focus on duplicate redundant services. And if the CE unit is delivering, let's say, um, uh, uh, bursar uh, support for non-traditional students in a way that is more highly efficient or, 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 or better than, than full-time, full-campus bursar can, why wouldn't you sort of uh, integrate that service to build out mm-hmm. capacity? Um, so yeah, I, 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 I see and I expect that we'll see more of this sort of a hybrid, hybrid models evolving. Absolutely. And I mean, as we turn our focus toward community engagement, now this has historically been one of the areas of focus for continuing ed. 
Um, but as we sort of shift towards this shared service or institution-wide CE model, do you see it creating, like, how does that start to impact the way that continuing ed divisions look at community engagement? Like, is it, does it start to live within the faculties and supported by continuing ed, or is it still something that lives with this, with the CE? So that's a, actually, that's a really good question. I'm, you know, I, I don't know that it, there's a, there's a, a binary here, right? I, I, I think, hmm what you find, and, and I know it sounds sort of like a cop-out, but <laughs> it has a lot to do with sort of the organization, the institution, the culture, uh, the region in which it, it's located, sort of, and, and in our case, the major city in which it's located, um, you know, the communities that it serves. I, I, I think it has a lot to do with that, right? There, that, that whatever model evolves and emerges, it, you know, so here, just as an example, I can share with you uh, our sort of, uh, work, historical work with community engagement. Uh, up until 2017, the College of Professional Studies, formerly University College, we managed for the university all community engagement. So we hosted and coordinated and ran uh, community engagement uh, uh, efforts like our Thursday morning roundtable, which brings together community leaders from the city of Syracuse and the region every Thursday morning. It's been running since 1959. Oh. Uh, this is something that, and we, so we were, we administered that here at the college. Um, Onondaga Citizens League, which brought together emerging, young and emerging uh, uh, community leaders uh, to, 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 to develop as, um, uh, uh, as thought leaders and, and um, finding ways to improve the region. Um, uh, that, that's just two, there, another half a dozen or so. A decision was made, getting to your point here, a decision was made around 2018 to elevate those uh, administration of those community engagement efforts to a central office of community and government relations. Hmm. What that afforded us as a university is some economy of scale. Um, so as opposed to us operating sort of down here on the CE side and we sort of, you know, would, would do this programming, it was often uh, exit any strategy, uh, institutional strategy, and not to suggest that it ever worked against any institutional strategy as it relates to community engagement, but it wasn't formalized. And, and so what we've seen since that time is that the Office for uh, Government and Community Relations now works directly with us. As, as they move out on programming. So if they identify an opportunity, let's say in the city of Syracuse for delivering um, free tutoring for Afghan refugees who are relocating to, to the region, they're coming to us to do that and to, for us to serve as the broker. We're not the ones actually out looking for those opportunities or serving as the point of engagement for the, for the, for the community or the region. So um, that's just our example and our model. Um, well, it's I mean, it's an, it's an interesting framework because as, as you start to think that through, like where, where my head goes is the impact continuing ed has on town-gown relations, which is not something that we really think a lot about, but it really seems as though, you know, continuing ed starts to serve as that hub point that actually starts to connect what can be an insular environment of, of the, the higher ed campus into the community that, that it serves and supports. Yeah. It's a, yeah, I, I would say it, it's typical and certainly it's true for us here at Syracuse. The, the College of Professional Studies, the, the, the Continuing Education Union University, 
we are the gateway to the university for the community. You know, many, all of our students are part-time students. All of our are either online or, or, or commuter residential. And our commuter students are coming from a 90 mile catchment around the university and they're attending part-time. They know Syracuse University through the College of Professional Studies, through the CE unit. So, uh, you know, for us to be more intentional on how to leverage that um, affinity uh, on behalf of, of work that the university is doing in the community, absolutely. You know, if, if, you, if you're putting individuals or units from within the university in front of a community that they're unfamiliar with, you know, you're sort of, you're, you're starting to build a relationship that's already exists with typically with the CE unit. Um, it's just, it's our mission, right? We're, we're ground-based, we're out in the community. Um, we often, in many cases, have a better uh, sense of the pulse of, of what, what's happening, how, how things, uh, you know, whether it's workforce development or uh, retraining or small organizations that are either you know, transitioning, starting up or shutting down and, and, you know, looking for services for, for, for individuals. Um, We're often the unit that, that has the, the, that Intel first, because Mm -hmm. we're here, we're here. And and in many cases, we are on the fringes of the campus physically. We're (laughs) physically located either downtown uh, or on the edge of, edge of the main campuses. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because you know, as you start thinking that through, there like there are so many ways in which continuing ed is is the the engagement point between the institution and the community, um, and and you know, as as you extend that that concept out, the capacity to offer sort of professional education, uh, workforce training, and, and upskilling and reskilling services surely has an impact on, on a community's ability to attract major employers as well, where otherwise, you know, that, that might be more of a challenge, especially in smaller communities. Yeah. Yeah. So specific to that, um, again, <clears throat> it's very, very timely, you know, ha- having uh, uh, ongoing conversations here in Syracuse, um, you know, you look at, so Merit, you look at a city like Pittsburgh, um, and I've been enamored with, with what Pittsburgh has been able to do over the last you know, 25 to 30 years, Specifically, with the, the density of really amazing schools like Carnegie Mellon, University of Pittsburgh, uh, Robert Morris, um, West, West Virginia University, Morgantown, which isn't far from there. And what they've been able to do, at least again from, from our perspective, you know, our, our lens, is really leverage and, and bring to bear everything that those educational institutions uh, can provide to assist. Uh, an entire city to sort of transform itself. Um, and so, and many of us like, you know, Syracuse University, we're, we're the largest, one of the largest employers in, in the region. So not only is there sort of an, a, a, an obligation, the public good mission of the university to do that, it's absolutely in our interest to do that because we're employing, you know, the, the people that work here actually live here. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah, I, and I think you know. So understanding, you know, how can we help the region with uh, recruitment, for example, as you're suggesting? Uh, well, you know, one way you do that is a CE unit. We often have more latitude in pricing on on uh, undergraduate, for example, undergraduate programs. It'd absolutely be in our interest if we know that an Amazon um, uh, shipment center is being, you know, built in Liverpool, New York here. 
uh, eight miles from campus, and they're going to employ 2,500 employees. It's absolutely in our interest to work on a partnership with Amazon where their employees can attend Syracuse University part-time, complete a certificate or a degree or a non-credit credential mm-hmm. at a significantly discounted price to make, make the university more accessible to them, benefiting Amazon, benefiting the community in which these individuals live, thereby directly and indirectly benefiting the university. So, um, And the CE units are, are typically the units that, that have the latitude and the ability and the infrastructure uh, to deliver those sort of services and programs. Absolutely. Well, you know, as, as we come to a close here, I'm curious about how, how this is all kind of structured because there's, there's twin priorities here, right? For a continuing ed leader on, on the one hand, I, I break everything down into two. It's the easiest way for me to understand things. Yeah. Um, on the one hand, there's the service mission. Right, we support the community. We support community growth. We play a critical role in the university's work to to build the community. On the other hand, there's the revenue component. A continuing ed division is responsible for being at minimum, more often than not, revenue neutral. How do you balance these two seemingly opposing forces of revenue generation and accessibility? Yeah, if I had that answer, I <laughs> the budget office wouldn't be calling me every every eight minutes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, it, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and, and I, again, I'm being extremely candid here, and I'm sure that my colleagues in other units and other universities are faced with, with similar challenges. I, I, I think what it comes down to, Amrit, is what is the institution's commitment uh, to that service, to providing that that form of service. And and so depending on how you're structured, you know, if you're an RCM unit or if you're a traditional sort of, you know, a a budget model that you have, whatever your your institutional budget model is, um, there has to be a commitment on the part of the institution to fund services that are not revenue generated. That are not, and there isn't a cost recovery on that. The university has to make a, a commitment and in our case here at Syracuse University, it's a public good commitment, the mission of the university, um, to, to fund uh, some amount of services that are, are, are not going to, there isn't a cost recovery model for those. It's just, it's, it's the university uh, making a financial commitment to services that are going to assist, the, assist the, the community in which the university exists. So, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, yes, it's a challenge. And, and I think, you know, folks in my position and, 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 and related positions, we're always looking for ways to, um, on the revenue side, to reduce the burden those services put on the university. Um, and if we can, you know, come up, if we do it creatively and, and well enough, we're finding a way to, to, to make it at least uh, cost neutral, right? If it's an $8 million investment on the part of the university to provide services to the community, if you can provide, if you can return 7.5 <laughs> every fiscal year, um, you know, you're doing, you're doing right by the university, but you're certainly doing right by the community that you're serving. So, yeah, I, I, I wish I had an answer. I'd love to hear from some other folks that, <laughs> that have figured the, figured the magic formula out, but um, it, it's a really, really great question. Well, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take that one to the bank. That's good enough for me. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for today's episode. We really appreciate it. And it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you.
Yeah, yeah absolutely. This, this is great. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to, to, to meeting you down there. So, This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education to student affairs to the registrar's office to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com. 